13. The Europeans fell dead at once. Two others were desperately wounded. The rest escaped to the ships. And the ships went no farther that year. Still worse was the fate of Valardi's venture in the early months of 1448. Valardi was a nobleman of the court of King Christopher of Denmark, who had been drawn to the court of Henry at Sagres by the growing fame of the prince's explorations, and who came forward with the stock request. Give me a caravel to go to the land of the Negroes, a little beyond Cape Verde. Valardi went on shore with a boat's crew and fell into the trap which had caught the exploring party of the year before. He and his men were surrounded by Negroes and were shot down or captured to a man, but one escaped, swimming to the ship, and told how as he looked back over his shoulder to the shore, again and again, he saw Valardi sitting a prisoner in the stern of the boat. And when the chronicle of these voyages was in writing at the end of the self-same year, there were brought certain prisoners from Guinea to Prince Henry, who told him that in a city of the upland, in the heart of Africa, there were four Christian prisoners. One had died, three were living, and in these four, men in Europe believed they had news of Valardi and his men. But between the last voyage of Zarco's caravel in 1446 and the first voyage of Kitamosto in 1455, there is no real advance in exploration. The Third Armada, as it was called, that is the fleet of the nine caravels of 1446-7, the voyage of Gomspears to the Rio Daura at the same time, the trading ventures of the Morocco coast which were the means of bringing the first lion to Portugal in 1447, the expeditions to the Rio Daura and to Orgin in the course of the same year, are not part of the story of discovery, but of trade. There is hardly a suspicion of exploring interest about most of them. Even Valardi's venture in 1448 has nothing of the novelty which so many went out to find, for the satisfaction of the Lord Henry. Guinea voyages are frequent, almost constant, during these years, and this frequency has at any rate the point of making Europeans thoroughly familiar with the coast already explored, if it did little or nothing to bring in new knowledge. But the value and meaning of Henry's life and work was not after all in commerce except in a secondary sense, and these voyages of purely trading interest, with no design or at any rate no result of discovery, do not belong to our subject. Each one of them has its own picturesque beauty in the pages of the old chronicle of the conquest of Guinea, but measured by its importance to the general story of the expansion of Europe, there is no lasting value in any one of the last chapters of Azurara's voyages, his description of the Canaries, and of the Inferno of Tenerife, of how Madeira was peopled, and the other islands that are in that part, of how the caravel of Alvaro Dornelas took certain of the Canarians, of how Don Spears went to the Rio Daura and of the Moors that he took, of the caravel that went to Mecca in Morocco and of the Moors that were taken, of how Andam Gonzalez received the island of Lancarote in the name of the prince, only the chronicler's summary of results, up to the year 1446, the year of Nuno Tristam's failure, is of wider interest. Till then there had been 51 caravels to those parts, which had gone 450 leagues 1350 miles beyond the Cape Boyadar, and as it was found that the coast ran southward with many points, the prince ordered these to be added to the sailing chart, and here it is to be noted, that what was clearly known before of the coast of the Great Sea was 200 leagues 600 miles, which had been increased by these 450, also what had been laid down upon the map Monday was not true but was by guesswork. But now T is all from the survey by the eyes of our seamen, and now seeing that in this history we have given account sufficient of the first four reasons which brought our noble prince to his attempt, it is time we said something of the accomplishment of his fifth object, the conversion of the heathen, 
by the bringing of a number of infidel souls from their lands to this, the which by count were 927, of whom the greater part were turned into the true way of salvation, and what capture of town or city could be more glorious than this? Chapter XV, The Azores, 1431-1460. We have now come very nearly to the end of the voyages that are described in the old chronicle of the discovery and conquest of Guinea and setting aside the story of the famous Venetian Kitamosto. This is also the end of the African mainland coasting of Henry Seaman, though he did not die till 1460, and we had now only reached the year 1448. For Zerara's solemn catalogue of Negroes brought to Europe is reckoned only up to that year, 927 who had been turned into the true path of salvation, yet there is no more exploration in the last ten years of Henry's life worth noting except what falls into the sand two of the following chapters. The first of these is Kitamosto's own record of his two voyages along the Guinea coast, in which he is supposed to have reached Cape Palmer, some 500 miles beyond Cape Verde, and certainly reached the Gambia, whose great mouth, like an arm of the sea, is well described in his journal. The second is the true account of the finding of the Cape Verde Islands by Diego Gomez, servant of Don Henry who writes the story of the prince's death and was as faithful a servant as he had at his court. But there is one other chapter of the exploration directed from Sagres and described by Azurara, which must find its place, and is best spoken of here and now. In the interval between the two most active periods of African coasting voyages, this is the story of the Kolanazotion of the Azores, of the western Orhawk Islands, known to mapmakers at least as early as 1351 for they figure clearly enough on the great Florentine chart of that year, though not reclaimed for Europe and Christendom till somewhere about 1430. These islands were found, says a legend, on the Catalan map of 1439, by Diego de Seville, pilot of the King of Portugal, in 1427. But these islands were after all only two groups of the archipelago, and the rediscovery or finding of the rest fell between the years 1432 and 1450. The voyage of Diego de Seville and Gonzalo Veljo Cabral to the Azores, that is to the island of St. Mary and the Formigas, has been alluded to as among the earliest of Prince Henry's successes, but as it was out of this first attempt that the discovery of the whole group resulted, it has been necessary to refer to it again. Cabral, rewarded by his lord with the gift of his discoveries and living in St. Mary's Island as Captain Donatory or Lord of the Land was in charge of the Colonizotion of the islands he had already found, and of as many others as might come to a light. He spent three years 1433-6 collecting men and means in Portugal and then settled in the Western Isles with some of the best families in this country. With this, discovery seemed to have come to a standstill, but years after, somewhere about 1441 an odd chance started exploration westward once more. There was a hunt after a runaway slave, a Negro, of course from the continent, who had escaped to the top of the highest mountain in St. Mary. The weather was of the clearest, and he fancied that he saw far off on the horizon the outline of an unknown land. Was it another island? He knew his masters were there as explorers quite as much as colonizers, and he must often have heard their talk about the finding of new lands, and the will of their lord the prince that those new lands should at all costs be found, was no secret. That will had sent them there, that same will would secure their slaves' pardon, if he came back from hiding with the news of a real discovery. So he reasoned to himself, and he was right. The prince, hearing the news, instantly consulted his ancient maps and found that these hinted at lands in the same direction as the slave had pointed out. 
He ordered Cabral to start at once in search of them. Cabral tried and missed. Then came a wonderful test of Henry's knowledge, he who had never been within a thousand miles of the place, proved to his captain that he had passed between St. Mary and the unknown land, and correcting his course sent him out again, to seek and to find, on the 8th of May, 1444, the new island was found, on the day of the apparition of St. Michael, and named after the festival, it is our modern, St. Michael of the Oranges, as with the other islands so with us. Colonizatayan followed discovery, on the 29th of September, 1445, Cabral returned with Europeans, having before left only a few lures to open up the country, now on his return he found these wretched men frightened almost to death by the earthquakes that had kept them trembling since they first landed, and if they had been able to get a boat, even the lightest, they would certainly have escaped in it, Cabral's pilot also, who had been with him before to that same island, declared that of the two great mountain peaks which he had noticed at the two ends of the island, east and west, only the eastern was now standing, the slang name of Azores, or Hawks, now began to take the place of the old term of Western Islands, from the swarms of Hawks or Kites that were found in the new discovered St. Michael, and in the others which came to a light soon after, for the third group, Tercera, was sighted between 1444-50 and added to the Portugal that was thus creeping slowly out towards the unknown west, as if in anticipation of Columbus, throwing its outposts farther and farther into the ocean, as its pioneers grew more and more sure of their ground outside the Straits of Gibraltar, some seamen of Prince Henry's, returning from Guinea to Spain, some adventurer trying to win fame for himself with the Lord Infant, some merchants sent out to try their luck on the western side as so many had tried on the southern, some African coasters driven out of sight of land by contrary winds, it may have been any of these, it must have been some one of them, who found the rest of the Azores, Tercera or the island of Jesus, St. George, Graciosa, Fayal, Flores, and Corvo, who were the discoverers is absolutely unknown, at this day we have only a few traces of the first colonization, but of two things we may be pretty certain, first, that the Azores were all found and colonized in Henry's lifetime, and for the most part between 1430 and 1450. Second, that no definite purpose was formed of pushing discovery beyond this group across the waste of waters to the west, and so of finding India from the left hand. Henry and all his school were quite satisfied, quite committed, to the southeast route, by coasting round the continent, not by venturing across the ocean. They hoped and meant to find their way to Malabar and Cathay. As to the settlement of these islands, a copy is still left of Henry's grant of the Captain Key of Tercera to the Fleming Shot de Bruges. The facts of the case were these. Shot came to the prince one day with a little request about the Hawk Islands that, within the memory of man the aforesaid islands had been under the aggressive lordship of none other than the prince. And as the third of these islands called the Island of Jesus Christ, was lying waste. He the said shot to Bruce Beck that he might colonize the same, which was granted to him with the succession to his daughters, as he had no heirs male, for shot was a rich Fleming, who had come into the prince's service, it would seem, with the introduction of the Duchess of Burgundy, Don Henry's niece, since then he had married into a noble house of Portugal, and now he was offering to take upon himself all the charges of his venture, such a man was not lightly to be passed over. His design was encouraged, and more than this his example was followed, and Hidalgo named Sadre Vincent Gil Sadre took his family and adherents across to Tercera, the island of Jesus Christ, 
and from thence went on and settled in Graciosa, while another Fleming, Van der Hager, joining Van der Berg or de Bruges inter Sierra with two ships, fitted out at his own cost and filled with his own people and artisans, whom he had brought to a work as in a new land, tried though unsuccessfully to colonize the island of St. George. The first Captain Donator Elfayal was another Fleming Job Van Herder, Lord of Moorkirky and there is a special interest in his name, for it is through him that we get in 1490 to the long and interesting notice of the first settlement of the Azores on the globe of Martin Behame. Now at Nuremberg, the globe which was made to play such a curious part, as undesigned as it was ungenerous, in the Columbus controversy, these islands, says the tablet attached to them on the map, these Hawk Islands, were colonized in 1466, when they were given by the King of Portugal to his sister Isabel, Duchess of Burgundy, who sent out many people of all classes, with priests and everything necessary for the maintenance of religion so that in 1490 there were there some thousands of souls, who had come out with the noble knight, Job the Herder, my dear father-in-law, to whom the islands were given in perpetuity by the Duchess. Now in 1431, Prince Henry provisioned two ships for two years and sent them to the lands beyond Cape Finisterre, and they, sailing due west for some 500 leagues, found these islands, ten in number, all desert without quadrupeds or men, only tenant by birds, and these so tame that they could be caught by the hand, so they called these the islands of the Hawks Azores, and next year 1432, by the king's orders, sixteen vessels were sent out from Portugal with all kinds of tame animals, that they might breed there, of the first settlement of Flores and Corvo, the two remaining islands of the group, still less is known, but in any case it seems not to have been fully carried out till the last years of the prince's life. Possibly it was the work of his successor in the Grand Mastership of the Order of Christ, which now took up a sort of charge to colonize outlying and new discovered lands, for among the prince's last acts was his bequest of the islands, which had been granted to himself by his brother, King Edward, in 1433, to Prince Ferdinand, his nephew, whom he had adopted with a view of making him his successor in aims as well as in office in leading the progress of discovery as well as in the headship of the Order of Christ. Chapter XBI. The Troubles of the Regency and the Fall of Don Pedro. 1449. Don Pedro had been nominated sole regent of Portugal on November 1, 1439, and by the end of the next year all the unsettlement consequent on the change at court seemed to be at an end, but a deep hatred continued between the various parties. First of all, the Count of Barcelos. Natural son of John I created Duke of Braganza by Afonso he had taken up a definite policy of supplanting the regent. The Queen Mother had not forgotten or forgiven Don Pedro's action at Edward's death, and the young king himself, though engaged to the regent's daughter, was already distrustful, was fitting himself to lead the Barcelos party against the prince. On February 18, 1445, died the queenly owner, with suspicions of poison diligently fostered by the malcontents, next year 1446 Afonso, now 14, came of age, and his uncle proposed at once to resign all actual power and retire to his estates as Duke of Coimbra, but the king was either not yet prepared to part with him, or still felt some gratitude to his guardian, the wisest head in Spain, he begged him to keep the chief direction of affairs, thanked him for the past, and promised to help him in the future, more than this. He protested that he wished to be married to his cousin, Pedro's daughter Isabel. They had been formally betrothed for years. Now Afonso called on his nobles and the deputies of Cortes to witness the marriage. 
In May, 1447, this royal wedding was celebrated, but coldly and poorly, as nephew and uncle had now drifted quite apart, the more the younger disliked and suspected the elder, the more vehement became his protestations of regard, but he bitterly resented the duke's action in holding him to his promise, and he made up his mind before the marriage that he would henceforth govern as well as reign. The regent just prevented his dismissal by laying down his offices, the king seemed almost to relent in parting from his guardian, who had kept the kingdom in such perfect peace and now resigned so well discharged to duty, but even his wife could not prevent the coming storm. She struggled hard to reconcile her father and her husband, but the mischief-makers were too hard for her. Persuaded that the duke was a traitor, the king allowed himself to be used to goad him into a revolt. Your father wishes to be punished, he said fiercely to the queen, and he shall be punished, if Henry, who in the last six years had only once left Sagres, to knight Don Pedro's eldest son at Coimbra in 1445, had now been able, in presence as well as writing, to stand by his brother in this crisis, the regent might have been saved, as it was, Pedro had hardly settled down in his exile at Coimbra, when he found himself charged with the secret murders of King Edward, Queen Leonor, and Prince John, the more monstrous the slander, the more absurd and self-contradictory it might be, the more eagerly it was made, persecution as petty and grinding as that which hunted Wolsey to death, that last drove Pedro to take arms, his son, Knight by Henry himself for the high place of constable of the realm, had been forced into flight. The arms of Coimbra Arsenal seized for the king's use. His letters to his nephew opened and answered. It was said by his enemies, who wrote back in the sovereign's name, as he would write to an open rebel. All this the prince bore, but when he heard that his bastard brother of Braganza, who had betrayed and maligned and ruined him, was on the march to plunder his estates, like an outlaw's, he collected a few troops and barred his way, that the Safonso was persuaded to declare war, only one great noble stood by the fallen regent, but this was his friend Almada, the Spanish Hercules, his sworn brother in arms and in travels, one of the heroes of Christendom, who had been made a count in France and a knight of the garter in England, it was he who now escaped from honorable imprisonment at Sintra, joined Pedro in Coimbra, and proposed to him that they should go together to court and demand justice and a fair trial but sword in hand and with their men at their back. Was it not better to die as soldiers than as traitors without a hearing? So on May 5, 1449, the Duke left Coimbra with his little army of vassals, 1,000 horse and 5,000 foot and passade by Batella, where he stopped to revisit the great church and the tombs of his father and his brothers. Thence he marched straight on Lisbon, which the king covered from Santarém with 30.000 men. At the rivulet of Alfaro Beira the armies met, a lance thrust or a crossbow shot killed the infant, a common soldier cut off his head and carried it to Afonso in the hope of knighthood, Almada, who fought till he could not stand from loss of blood, died with his friend, hurling his sword from him, he threw himself on the ground, with a scornful, take care fill of me, varlets, and was cut to pieces, though at first leave could hardly be got to bury Don Pedro's body. As time went on his name was cleared, his daughter bore a son to the king, and the proofs of his loyalty, the indignant warnings of foreign courts, the entreaties of the queen, at last brought Afonso to something like repentance and amendment. He buried the regent at Batel and pardoned his friends, those who were left from the butchery of Alfaro Beira. Chapter XVII. Ciadia in Morestio. 1455-6. We have now come to the voyages of the Venetian Kitamosto, in the service of Prince Henry 
and though these were far from being the most striking in their general effect, they are certainly the most famous, the best known, of all the enterprises of these fifty years 1415-1460. It is true that Cadamosto fairly reached Sierra Leone and, passing the farthest mark of the earlier Portuguese caravels, coasted along many miles of that great eastern bend of the West African coast which we call the Gulf of Guinea, but it is to his general fame as a seaman, his position in Italy, and the interest he aroused by his written and published story that he out his greater share of attention, when I first set my mind, begins his narrative, on sailing the ocean between the Strait of Cadiz and the Fortunate Islands, the one man who had tried to enter the aforesaid ocean, since the days of our father Adam, was the infant Don Henry of Portugal, whose illustrious and almost countless deeds I pass over, excepting only his zeal for the Christian faith and his freedom from the bonds of matrimony, for his father, King John, had not given up the ghost before he had warned his son Henry with saving precepts, that the aforesaid holy faith he should foster with a dauntless mind and not fail in his vows of warring down the foes of Christ, therefore every year did Don Henry, as it were, challenging and hurling defiance at the Moors, persist in sending out his caravels as far as the headland called the Cape of Nonnot, from the belief that beyond the said Cape there is no return possible, and as for a long time the ships of the prince did not dare to pass that point, Henry roused himself to accomplish this feat, seeing that his caravels did much excel all other sailing ships afloat, and strictly enjoined his captains not to return before they had passed the said Cape, who steadily pressing on, and never leaving sight of the shore, did in truth pass near 100 miles beyond, finding nothing but desert land, beyond this again, for the space of 150 miles, the prince then sent another fleet, which fared no better, and finding no trace of men or of tillage, returned home, and Don Henry, growing ever keener for discovery, and excited by the opposition as it were of nature, sent out again and again till his sailors had reached beyond the desert coast to the land of the Arabs and of those new races called Azanagois, people of a tiny color, and finally there appeared to these bold mariners the land of Ethiopia, which lies upon the shore of the southern ocean, and here again from day to day the explorers discovered new races and new lands, now Ilalajika de Amosto, who had sailed nearly all the Mediterranean coasts, once leaving Venice for Chelto Gallia France, but being caught by a storm off sea St. Vincent, had to take refuge in the prince's town, near the said cape, and was here told of the glorious and boundless conquests of the prince, whence accrued such gain that from no traffic in the world could the like be had, the which, continues the candid trader, did exceedingly stir my soul, eager as it was for gain above all things else, and so I made suit to be brought before the prince, if so be that I might gain leave to sail in his service for since the profit of this voyage is subject to his pleasure, he doth guard his monopoly with no small care, with the prince, at last, Kitamosto made terms, either that he, the adventurer, should furnish the ships at his own cost, and take the whole risk upon himself, and of the merchandise that he might gain a fourth part to go to his lord, or that the prince should bear the cost of equipment and should have half the profits, but in any case, if there was no profit, the whole expense should fall upon the trader, the prince added that he would heartily welcome any other volunteers from Venice, and on Kitamosto himself he urged an immediate start, as for me, repeats the sailor, my age, my vigor, my skill equal to any toil, above all my passionate desire to see the world and explore the unknown, set me all on fire with eagerness, and especially the fact that no countryman of mine had ever tried the like, 
and my certainty of winning the highest honor and gain from such a venture, made me forward to offer myself. I only stayed to inquire from veteran Portuguese what merchandise was the most highly prized among the Ethiopians and people of the furthest south, and then went home to find the best light craft for the ocean coasting that I had in mind. Meantime the prince ordered a caravel to be equipped, which he gave to one Vincent, a native of Lagos, as captain, and caused to be armed to the teeth, as was required, and on the 21st of March, 1455, Cadamosto sailed for Madeira. On the 25th they were off Porto Santo, and the Venetian stops to give us a description of the island, which, he says in passing, had been found and colonized by the prince's seamen 27 years before. It was worth the settling, every kind of grain and fruit was easily raised, and there was a great trade in dragon's blood, which is made from the tares of a tree. On March 27th, Cadamosto sailed from Porto Santo to Madeira, 40 miles distant and easily seen from the first island when the weather was cloudy, and here the narrative stops some time to describe and admire sufficiently. Madeira had been colonized under the lead and action of the prince for and twenty years before, and was now thickly peopled by the Portuguese settlers. Beyond Portugal its existence was hardly known. Its name was, from its woodland, here Cadamosto repeats the traditional falsehood about the place, but the first settlers had destroyed most of this in trying to clear an open space by fire. The whole island had once been in flames. The colonists only saved their lives by plunging into the rivers, and even Zarco, the chief discoverer, with his wife and children had to stand in a torrent bed for two whole days and nights before they could venture on dry land again. The island was forty miles round, like Puerto Santo. It was without a harbor, but not without convenient roads for ships to lie in. The soil was fertile, well watered by eight rivers that flowed through the island. Various kinds of carved wood are exported, so that almost all Portugal is now adorned with tables and other furniture made from these woods. Hearing of the great plenty of water in the island, the prince ordered all the open country to be planted with sugar cane and with vines imported from Crete, which do excellent well in a climate so well sweet to the grape. The vine staves make good boughs, and are exported to Europe like the wine, red and white alike, but especially the red. The grapes are ripe about Easter in each year and this vintage, as early as Cadamosto's day, was evidently the main interest of the islanders, who had all the enthusiasm of a new venture in their experiment, for no one had ever tried his hand upon the soil before. From Madeira the caravel sailed on 320 miles to the Canaries, of which says our Venetian, there are ten, seven cultivated and three still desert, and of the seven inhabited four are Christian, three heathen, even now, fifty years after de Betancourt's conquest. Neither wine nor grain can be produced on the soil, and hardly any fruit, only a kind of dye, used for clothes in Portugal, goat's flesh and cheese can also be exported, and something, Cadamosto fancies, might be made of the wild asses that swarm in the islands, each of these Canary Islands being some forty miles from the next, the people of one do not understand the speech of their neighbors, they have no walls, but open villages, Watchtowers are placed on the highest mountains to guard the people of one village from the attacks of the next, for a guerrilla warfare, half marauding, half serious civil war, is the order of the day. Speaking of the three heathen islands, which were also the most populous, Cadamosto stops a little over the mention of Tenerife, wonderful among the islands of the earth, and able to be seen in clear weather for a distance of 70 Spanish leagues, which is equal to 250 miles and what makes it to be seen from so far, is that on the top is a great rock of adamant, 
like a pyramid, which stone blazes like the mountain of Etna, and is full 15 miles from the plain. As the natives say, these natives have no iron weapons, but fight with stones and wooden daggers, they go naked except for a defensive armor of goat skins, which they wear in front and behind. Houses they have none, not even the poorest huts, but live in mountain caves, without faith, without God. Some indeed worship the sun and moon, and others planets, reverence certain idols. In their marriage customs the chiefs had the first right by common consent, and at the graves of their dead chiefs are most of their religious sacrifices. The islanders had only one art, that of stone slinging, unless one were to count their mountain climbing and skill in running and in all bodily exercises, in which nature has created these canarians to excel all other mortals. They paint their bodies with the juice of plants in all sorts of colors and think this the highest point of perfection, to be decked out on their skins like a garden bed, from the Canaries, Cadamosto sails to the White Cape, Sea Blanco, on the mainland, some way beyond Bajander, towards Ethiopia, passing the Bay and Isles of Orgin on the way, where the crews found such quantities of seabirds that they brought home to ship loads, and here it is to be noticed, says the narrative that in sailing from the parts of Cadiz to that Ethiopia which faces to the south, you meet with nothing but desert lands till you come to Cape Canaan, from which it is a near course to Sea Blanco. These parts towards the south do run along the borders of the Negro's land, and this great tract of white and arid land, full of sand, very low lying at a dead level, it would be a quick thing to cross in sixty days. At Sea Blanco some hills begin to arise out of the plain, and this cape was first found by the Portuguese and on it is nothing but sand, no trace of grass or trees, it is seen from far, being very sharply marked, three-sided, and having on its crest three pyramids, as they may be called, each one a mile from its neighbor, a little beyond this great desert tract is a vast sea and a wondrous concourse of rivers, where only explorers have reached, at Sea Blanco there is a mart of Arab traders, a station for the camels and caravans of the interior, and those pass by the Cape who are coming from Negro land and going to the Barbary of North Africa, as one might expect on such a barren stony soil. No wine or grain can be raised, the natives have oxen and goats, but very few, milk of camels and others is their only drink. As for religion, the wretches worship Mahomet and hate Christians right bitterly. What is of more interest to the Venetian merchant, the traders of these parts have plenty of camels which carry loads of brass and silver, and even of gold brought from the Negroes to the people.